Do you join me in prayer? Lord, you invite us to come to you. And today we so desperately need to do that. And, and we want to do that, and, and we are here because we intend to do that. We are tired. There are worries and problems and burdens in our lives that keep us awake at night. So may your spirit now settle upon us and fill us and help us to hear your word and reveal to us the source of hope that we can find only in you. Through Christ our Lord we pray, amen. There's an old joke, it's a tired and worn out joke, and you're about to hear it again, um, <clears throat> because pastors like to trot it out from time to time, because it's, it's really so revealing about all of us. It's a, a joke, it's a story about a guy who was uh, out in the wilderness, and he was walking along the edge of a cliff and just in, enjoying the, the beauty of God's grandeur. When all of a sudden something happened, whether the, the earth gave way under his feet a little bit or he, he rolled his ankle on a rock and, and hit the side of the, he, he falls off the side of the cliff and he falls a short distance and, and manages to, to grab onto this branch that's sticking out of the side of the cliff. And, and he is holding on to this branch for dear life. And once the reality of the situation settles in upon himself, he, he realizes he's alone. And, and so he just called, hey! help, help. It's just over and over for what to him felt like an absolute eternity. He's screaming for help and, and there's nobody there. No one responds. And, and he's been hanging there for what feels like a couple of hours and, and his fingers are starting to, to cramp and his forearms are starting to ache and he doesn't know if he's got the strength to hold on any longer. And in one last desperate attempt, he says, is there anybody up there? And this voice says, I'm here, my child. And he says, who, who, who's there? My son, it's me, it's God. I've come to save you. All you have to do is trust me. I do. What do I do? Just let go. Is there anybody else up there? <laughs> now, we laugh at that because it's funny and it's cute, and we laugh at that because it's silly, but sometimes I think we laugh at that because in that little joke, in that little story, we see ourselves. One of my concerns is that you and I all too often live our lives as functional atheists. We believe in God or we wouldn't be here today. We believe in Jesus as the Son of God. We believe that God has given us His Spirit as a guarantee of our salvation. And, and we want to live our lives as followers of Jesus. But, but we are just so doggone ruggedly self-reliant that we live our lives almost as if there is no hope apart from we ourselves. We say we believe in God, but functionally we live our lives as if there is no God. It's into a life like that that Jesus 
surprises so many people so many times. You know, we're in this series of messages looking at the Gospel of Matthew every week, looking at a different chapter of the Gospel. Today we're looking at the ninth chapter of the Gospel, beginning to read at verse 14. Listen with me as we hear the Word of God. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will tear away from the garment, making the tear worse. Nor do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. Wine will run out, wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she'll live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Jesus turned and, and said to her, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and, and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, he said, go away, the girl's not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. And news of this spread through all that region. May the same Holy Spirit who inspired the writing and preservation of these words inspire them for our understanding as well. You know, this little interaction that Jesus has with these people is what some scholars refer to as a miracle sandwich. It's a miracle that happens inside another miracle. So let me walk you through it a little bit because there is so much because we don't live in that culture and understand everything, the, the social mores of that time, there's so much that we absolutely miss. The, the synagogue leader is kind of like the centurion that Rich talked about last week. This guy was a big deal. He was kind of like the clerk accession of a Presbyterian church, rolled into an executive pastor of a Presbyterian church, rolled into the chief operating officer of a Presbyterian church. This person, this one individual, was so important that the synagogue revolved around him and what he did and what he said. He was the one that made sure the lights came on, the musicians had what they needed, the sound system worked, uh, the doors were unlocked, the order of service was printed, and the service itself flowed freely. This guy was the person that everyone else looked to to make things happen. And so for him, like the centurion last week, to, to just set his pride aside and come to Jesus 
who he probably sees as this renegade rabbi who is breaking all the rules, and yet everybody's talking about the miracles that he worked. He swallows that pride because nothing else has worked. He has no hope. Jesus is his last chance. And so he comes and he, he kneels before him. It's an indication of his desperation that he does this. And he says, just come with me. You know, this is the only time in all four Gospels in which Jesus follows someone else. Every other time in the Gospels when that word is used, follow, it's always Jesus inviting someone else to follow him. But in this indication, in this situation, the man says, come with me. And the word follow is the same word that is used when Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Leave this behind and follow me. Jesus follows. So they're making their way to his house when this woman who has been ritually unclean for at least 12 years comes up and reaches out and touches his garment. <clears throat> I, th- I have this perception, my, my theory is that we have this perception that the scene was something like this. There were all these people crowded in around Jesus, pressing in on him, and, and she kind of worms her way through the crowd and, and reaches out and, and touches the hem of his robe down there at his feet. There's nothing wrong with that, but I don't think that's what happened. I don't think that's what unpacked at all. Think about this. This was not a large town. This was not Atlanta when you're going down to the Dome for an Atlanta United game. This was not a bunch of people you don't know. This was a small town, and everyone knew one another, and this woman was known. And because she is known, everyone knows that she is unclean. Now, that doesn't mean she needs to take a bath. That means that because of what is happening with her medically, the Jewish people see her as ritually unclean, unable to go to the synagogue for worship, unable to atone for her sins, and therefore anyone who bumps into her is going to be unclean as well. So likely as she's making her way to Jesus, people look and see who it is and kind of pull back to get away from her because they don't want to become unclean. And it's not that she's crawling in the dirt, reaching to touch the the hem of his garment down around his ankles. Jesus is likely wearing a prayer shawl wrapped around him that has tassels hanging off of it. And the tassels represented the Jewish law, and they represented that whoever was wearing this was a holy person. And odds are, she's just trying to get close enough to be able to touch one of the tassels on his prayer shawl. And when she does, Jesus turns around and he does not become unclean. Rather, he says, your faith has healed you. And like that, she's healed and she's made clean. Whether she believed that Jesus was the Son of God or whether she was treating him like a a superstitious oddity that if she just touched, something would happen. We don't know. But what we do know is that when she reached out to touch Jesus, she was healed. 
in him, she found hope. Because my brain is wired the way it is, I look at this story and I find myself thinking, so here is the synagogue ruler, the number one guy in town, and all of a sudden Jesus has stopped what he's doing to to deal with somebody that he perceives to be a nobody. Remember that when Jesus gives you his attention, you're not a nobody, you're a somebody. And when you're somebody in the eyes of God, you are somebody forever. So if you ever try to tell yourself or someone tries to tell you that that you're a nobody, don't you believe them. You are somebody to Jesus. But to the synagogue ruler, this woman's a nobody. And he's like, hey, 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 my little daughter just died. You know, you're coming with me. You're following me. You don't have time for her. And we don't know what went on, but odds are he's an obsessive compulsive type A anal retentive neurotic like me. He says, let's go. We're burning daylight here. They get to the house. And when they get there, they find a show going on. There are, are women who have been hired to, to wail and weep and, and mourn and, and people playing the flute because even the poorest person in any community was expected to hire at least one wailing woman and two flute players to express their grief when someone had died. Jesus gets there, and synagogue ruler, remember, there are going to be a lot of people there, not just one wailing woman, but a, a lot of wailing women, and flute players galore, and Jesus kind of looks at the show and says, why are you here? You don't, you don't need to be here. She's not dead. She's just asleep. They, they don't have hope. There's no hope. Which leads me to wonder, if we really are these functional atheists, where is our hope? Do we live in hope? Do we live as people of hope? Or do we live as people of fear? Interestingly enough, in a dark story, it was a short story that was turned into an incredible movie. Um, the short story by Stephen King, The Shawshank Redemption. One of the things that the central character in the story says is this, fear can hold you prisoner, hope can set you free. The woman feared because she was ritually unclean. The synagogue leader feared because his little girl had died and and he had no hope. He didn't know what to do, but hope can set you free. One of the interesting things about the Gospel of Matthew is that we we see this pattern in Jesus in that he will teach something and then kind of act it out or live it out. It was the case in this situation, that little section right above this miracle sandwich, Jesus talks about, actually it's the uh, disciples of John who's a good guy, remember, he's an ally of Jesus. His disciples come and say, hey, how come we fast and the Pharisees fast and and you and your disciples don't? Jesus, like a good rabbi, answers a question with a question, you know, why should the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? And the 
you just kind of scratch your head at this. And then he launches into this teaching about new old, new old. He says, you don't put a, a new patch, new piece of cloth on an old garment because if you do, you're covering up a hole. When you wash it again, that new patch, that new fabric is going to shrink and it's going to tear the old garment even worse. Yeah, okay, I get that. He says, you don't put new wine in old wineskins because new wine is still effervescent. It's growing. It's bubbling. And if you put it in a, a kind of old wineskin that's just dried out, that effervescence of the new wine will burst the wineskin and you don't have wine anymore. You put new wine in new wineskin. So Jesus kind of pushes everyone to think about where their hope is. Is it in the old ways or is it in something new? I was thinking this week, where do we need hope in our world today? Immediately thought about headlines and thought about the people of Ukraine and how they have endured a war for over a year and and they are living in bombed out buildings and they have lost so much and so many are still refugees. I thought about Syria and Turkey where these just incredibly destructive earthquake hit and then hit and then hit. And I saw on the news Friday night that after multiple weeks they pulled a dog out of the rubble. How in the world it had lived you know, one never knows, but you know, when the ground shakes under your feet, you need hope. I think about you and, and how some of you have seniors in high school in your homes and they're still waiting to hear from that school to find out if they are in or not and, and you need hope. And some of you were at the doctor's office this past week and you had some tests and you check your phone about every five minutes to see if you've gotten a message from your doctor letting you know how those test results came out and you need hope. You've applied for a job and you keep checking the site, checking your phone to see if you've gotten an email because you need hope. Your marriage is not what it was when you said I will umpteen years ago and and you need hope. And your children, they don't call, they don't come by. When they do, it's not for long. And you need hope. Where is our hope? And think about the, 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 the places and the people in which we today in our world place our hope. You know, we, we place our hope in ourselves. You know, I can do this. I can get through this. I know how to do this. I can handle this. I'm good. Or we place our hope in sports teams. There's only one sports team in the state of Georgia in which we can really legitimately place our hope. <laughs> and it's not a professional team. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, I thought so. Yep, yep. We place our hope in people. They've taken care of us in the past. They've done something for us in the past. Therefore, we're going to place our hope in those people. Or we place our hope in the past. It's like, been there, done that, got through it. I'll go there and get through it again. Or we place our hope in stuff. You know, whether it's that extra, that second home or, 
or that boat or that car or it's that 401k or your stocks or your bonds or your mutual funds or, or something else. It's, it's like you hang your hat on that stuff. Or superstition. My freshman year at Arkansas State, our football team, we won the first game of the year. And after that, the head coach, Bill Davidson, decided that every Saturday he was going to go through the exact same routine because it worked that first Saturday, so it's obviously going to work the rest of the year. He had to get out of the hospital one time with a bad back to cut his grass on Saturday morning before the game Saturday night. He didn't hope in our team or our abilities or the game plan, but it was superstition. As the woman teaches us, as the synagogue leader shows us, the only real place to put your hope is in Jesus. I'm not saying ignore medical science. I've had friends who decided to ignore medical science, and they are a part of the church triumphant today. They died. And I have friends who have sought the best medical advice they could get, but their ultimate hope from the get-go was in Jesus. Friends, don't let Jesus be your last resort. For 12 years, this woman struggled. He was her last resort. The synagogue leader had every resource available in that community. And he let Jesus be his last resort. Don't let Jesus be your last resort. At the end of the movie, Shawshank Redemption, Andy Dufresne, the central character, has a voiceover in which he says this, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. Now you know, Jesus died, but he rose from the dead to give us everlasting and eternal hope. Place your hope in him, not just for eternity, but for today as well. Let us pray. Lord, shape our lives by these words, and as we turn to you, as we come to you, May you bind us together and make us whole by your grace and by your mercy. Through Christ our Lord we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.